You're listening to the Hope Assembly podcast with Pastor Ryan Day. For more information, you can visit us online at hopeassembly.org. Please enjoy this week's sermon. Hey, good morning, church. Uh, thank you for tuning in today to today's live stream. going to be a little bit different. As you can tell, I'm in a different location um, due to the wildfires that are happening all around us Uh Karen and I grabbed the dogs and we uh, were invited a little further down south with some better air quality. So we took advantage of that. So we're not in Wilsonville right now. Uh, We are praying uh, for the wildfires. I hope you are staying safe. Um, And if you need anything, please feel free to reach out to us um, at hopeassembly.org. Text us message us on Facebook, whatever you need to do, um, but reach out and we will do everything that we can to help you in this uh, time of the wildfires. We're praying for all the firefighters and the police officers, those who are the first responders who are out in the middle of it trying to help people. Um, but we definitely wanted to still uh, have a have a service today and live stream out something that maybe can uh, encourage you a little bit today. And so we're going to do that this morning. Um, we are starting our new series called Dominion, and this is going to lead us all the way up until um, Advent season. So Dominion starts today, um, and uh, we're going to we're going to start with the first couple of weeks around the idea of spiritual formation. And so get your Bibles out. We're going to do a little bit of a deep dive this morning. It's going to be a little bit shorter than normal, um, but we're going to do a little bit of a deep dive here today as we kind of begin this this section of dominion on spiritual formation. Now, when uh, Karen and I and the boys were much younger, we lived in Colorado Springs and um, we oftentimes had young people who would come over. We were youth pastors, so we'd have young people who would come over and babysit for us. And um, one particular day, it was a summer day, um, I had to go to the office. Karen had to work in the office. The church office was just, I don't know, maybe three minutes down the road from um, my home. And so we had some young men over, some young teenagers from the youth group over who were babysitting both of our boys. The boys were probably, I don't know, seven, eight years old, maybe nine years old, right around there at this time, probably younger than that, maybe five and and seven or something like that. They were fairly young. Um, And I remember all of a sudden getting this, you know, we have the boys come over all the time. They babysit the boys. Um, And so these young men are babysitting our boys. And, you know, we give them the rules. If you need anything, we can order pizza, lunch, all that kind of stuff. You know the drill if you're a parent. Um, And I remember getting this phone call from one of the pastor's wives at our church saying, hey, um, who has your kids? (laughs) And I'm like, what do you mean who has my kids? Like, well, I just saw your kids. I think your kids were just running across Powers Boulevard. And so, you know, I quickly start making phone calls, text messages. Hey, where are you guys at? I jump in my car. Um, I run um, back home um, and they're at the house and finally at the house. And I'm like, hey, what are you guys doing? Well, the the babysitter decided it'd be a good idea for them to go to the store, which was across Powers Boulevard. And so they took the our two boys, who again are like five and seven, six and eight, something like that. And they are running them across Powers Boulevard, which at this section of Powers Boulevard, including turning lanes and everything, is about 10 lanes of pretty busy traffic. They're running them across Powers Boulevard. This is not something you want to hear or see or think about when your kids 
kids are being uh, babysat by someone else. And I remember having a conversation with the babysitter, like, listen, I put you in charge. You had some responsibilities here. And uh, this is not that. Like, this is irresponsible to be running with two kids across 10 lanes of traffic to go to the store. So we had a great discussion around it. But um, needless to say, it was pretty nerve wracking, as you can imagine. And I think that every parent knows that idea that, you know, when you have a babysitter, that you have empowered that babysitter at that moment, that time with sort of a limited portion of authority, right? You're going to leave. And so for a little bit of time, you've empowered your babysitter with with limited authority, a limited portion of authority. And this authority that you're giving them is expected to be used in alignment with the values of you, the parent, right? So you're like, hey, Here's the authority that I'm giving to you, and I want you to use this authority in the same sort of way that I would. Align yourself with the same sort of values that I have. And so parents oftentimes invite the babysitter into their lives as a temporary overseer, if you will, of their domain, of their home, of their children. And the babysitter, in effect, exercises dominion over the home in a limited and temporary capacity. It's not just some sort of free-for-all where the babysitter gets to do whatever they want to do. No, they are coming in and they exercise a a limited amount of dominion over the home for a temporary uh, period of time and a temporary capacity. And so it is with the kingdom of God. We are ambassadors of the kingdom of God, and God has given us a limited amount of authority and oversight as we're here on earth to represent his kingdom or to have a a level of dominion or to come under the dominion of God and to represent that dominion in, in ways that are aligned with his value system, in ways that are true to how he rules in this world. And so this series that we're starting about dominion is this idea, what does it look like for the kingdom of God, the rule of God to function in our lives, not just in some sort of field, theoretical way, but in a real tangible way that impacts every aspect of our lives. The word dominion means sovereignty or control. Um, It can have this idea of a territory of a sovereign government, that they have dominion over a specific territory of a sovereign government. Now, when Jesus taught us to pray, and when we pray this idea, thy kingdom come, which is out of the Lord's Prayer, Matthew chapter 6, verse 10, when we do that, we are invoking God's dominion in our lives. So we say, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What we're saying is, Lord, I want your dominion to rule and reign in my life. I want you to be the sovereign of my heart, the ruler of my heart, God's sovereign rule over us. And in and when we pray that, when we pray thy kingdom come, what we're doing is we're also admitting that we have this temporary and limited authority here. And so we're saying, God, we need you, your rule to come because we want to represent you well. Our um, rule or our authority or our um, uh, uh, 
vested sort of authority that we have, however you want to say that, is very limited. It's very temporary. And so, God, we want your kingdom rule to come. We want to, we want to live this life and represent you well as ambassadors here in this earth. And so today, when we talk about dominion, I want to talk briefly or set the stage for the spiritual formation aspect of dominion. What does it look like to be formed spiritually in a way that represents the kingdom of God, where the rule and reign of God is evident in our lives? And we would we would call this sort of spiritual formation discipleship. Now, I've shared this quote before, but I want to share it again. Two quotes I want to sort of open up with here. The first one from Brett McCracken, which we've shared once before. It says, how can a few hours of Christian formation on Sunday and in this COVID area, era, excuse me, maybe no hours of, of formation on Sunday, how how can a few hours of Christian formation on Sunday compete with hundreds of hours of cable news and social media formation per week. He goes on to say, even the most pastorally effective shepherds will struggle to guard flocks against the many voices shaping them. The reality is we're all being shaped by something. And uh, and McCracken here is making the, this assertion that how difficult it is in these days, in just a few hours, if even a few hours per week, can we shape people spiritually, help people be formed spiritually when we're spending so much time on social media, so much time with news sources that are also shaping and forming our worldview and our spiritual life. Um, J.T. English said said it like this. He said, the future of discipleship, right? Spiritual formation, discipleship. The future of discipleship is a retrieval of old paths long forgotten. More Bible, not less. More theology, not less. More formation, not less. More mission, not less. He goes on to say, the future of discipleship raises the bar for the church and refuses to lower it. The future of discipleship raises the bar for the church and refuses to lower it. And th- that's kind of what this series, especially the spiritual formation piece, is about. How do we raise the bar? How do we how do we call uh, the people of God into the kingdom of God at a greater level, a, a greater commitment, a greater surrender, if you will, under the authority of the dominion and rule of God? So let's look how Jesus called his disciples and kind of how that breaks out. We're going to just do a quick overview here. So Jesus calling his disciples, you can find in Matthew chapter 4, verses 18 through 22. Jesus calls Simon, who's also called Peter, and Andrew, his brother. And when he sees them fishing, he says to them simply, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And the account says that they dropped their nets and they followed him. In this same text of account, it goes on to say that he comes across James the son of Zebedee and John. These are the sons of thunder. And Jesus calls out to them. And the Bible says that they followed him. So he called out, obviously, inviting them to follow him. And what do they do? They follow him. In Matthew chapter 9, verse 9. Jesus sees, as he goes on his way, he sees a man named Matthew, who is a tax collector, also known as Levi, who is a tax collector sitting at a tax booth. And what does Jesus say to him? He says, Matthew, follow me. What does Matthew do? 
he follows Jesus. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 50. I'd encourage you to go read these. I'm sort of summarizing them. Go read these. Jesus finds Philip and he says to Philip, Philip, follow me. I hope you're hearing this sort of this this phrase that's being used over this invitation that Jesus is constantly saying as he's calling. He said, follow me, Philip. So Philip follows him. And what does Philip also do? He goes to his friend Nathaniel. He says, Nathaniel, you've got to come and see. We have found the Messiah. We have encountered this Messiah, Jesus from Nazareth. And you remember Nathaniel's like, can anything good come from Nazareth? And sure enough, he encounters Jesus and he also begins to follow Jesus. I think Brian Zahn summarizes all of this calling of the disciples of Jesus very succinctly. He says, Jesus doesn't say, ask me into your heart. Jesus says, follow me. Follow me. Now, I think a big question we have to ask here is, is the first century call to follow Jesus relevant in this 21st century that we live in. So Jesus is going to all these, these, these potential disciples, if you will. He says, hey, Andrew, hey, Simon, hey, hey, uh, you know, Levi, Matthew, hey, hey, Philip, follow me. And the Bible says they immediately began to follow him. This sort of call of Jesus to follow to these first century disciples, is that relevant still today in the 21st century as we are supposed to be disciples. Well, Matthew 16, later in the book of Matthew, Jesus is talking to his disciples. Verses 24 through 26 is a very well-known passage. He says this, Jesus told his disciples, they're already following him, but Jesus looks at them and says to them, if anyone would come after me, now, he's already predicting that he's going to die and be resurrected. So he's he's preparing them for the end. But he says, if, if anyone, notice that term, anyone. So he's not just talking about the disciples who are with him, but the disciples who will come later. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what shall a man give in return for his soul? So here we hear this invitation again. Jesus doesn't say, if anyone desires to come after me, let him ask me into his heart. No, Jesus says, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. Follow me. Follow me. We can't emphasize that enough, that Jesus' call for the people of God to live or be spiritually formed by the kingdom of God is that we follow Jesus. Follow Jesus. What does it mean to be a follower of Jesus or to be a disciple? He's inviting them into discipleship. He's saying, hey, come follow me. What does that mean? I think it's important to just note, maybe a side note, you can write this down somewhere, that the word Christian is only used like three times in the New Testament. It was rarely used to describe the people who followed Jesus. Christian has become, especially in our society, sort of this moral subculture of the surrounding culture. So there are lots of people who claim to be Christians, 
but aren't necessarily following Jesus with their whole heart or whole life. I'm making no judgments about anyone in particular. I think it's something we have to look at ourselves. Like, am I a Christian? Am I just sort of a morally good subculture of the normal culture? Or am I an actual follower of Jesus? So Christian was only used three times, whereas the word disciple is used 296 times in the New Testament. Disciple indeed was the number one moniker for the Christ follower. If someone wanted to say, hey, that person follows Christ, they would say, hey, that's a disciple of Jesus. They are a disciple of Jesus. Now, Jesus is a rabbi among lots of rabbis. Now, we know he's not just a rabbi. He's not just a teacher. He indeed is Emmanuel, God with us. But indeed, he is a teacher. He is one who teaches the word of God with authority. And they called him rabbi. His disciples called him rabbi. Nathaniel called him rabbi. The general public called him rabbi. So Jesus was known as a teacher. And this is important because every rabbi had a Talmudine. Talmudim is the Hebrew word for disciple. If you were a rabbi, you would invite people to come be with you, to follow you, that they would be discipled by you or be a part of your Talmudim. It was a very, very important thing in this first century Jewish culture. Matter of fact, it was the highest level of education in the Jewish culture to be a part of a Talmudim, to be learning, to sit at the feet of a rabbi and learn at their feet. This is why there's this ancient Jewish blessing that says, may you be covered in the dust of your rabbi. Essentially, it was a blessing that they would speak over people. May you have the opportunity to be a part of a Talmudim that you can closely learn alongside a good teacher. Now, Jesus being not only the good teacher, but the greatest teacher, Emmanuel, the son of God, teaching and discipling um, the ways of the kingdom of God. And so, what does it mean to be a disciple? Well, a disciple would be an apprentice of Jesus, a part of his Talmudim. If anyone desires to come after me, let him first deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. This is Jesus' invitation into discipleship, into an apprenticeship with him. I would say it like this. Disciple equals one who orients their life around the kingdom of God. So that's different than just being a Christian in name. That's different than just this, this sort of moral subculture. No, I orient my entire life around the kingdom of God. That's what it means to be a disciple. Now, every disciple, when a rabbi invited a disciple into the Talmudim, every disciple understood that there was a threefold mission of that discipleship or that Talmudim apprenticeship program. And that is to be with the rabbi, to be like the rabbi, to do what the rabbi did. They're ho hoping that eventually they themselves will become a rabbi. Now, that was the first century. Fast forward now to the 21st century, and I'm here to tell you, church, that has not changed. Jesus calls us in to be disciples, to be formed by him, to be formed by his ways, his teachings on the kingdom, to be a part of his Talmudim, to be an apprentice. And we have a threefold mission. And many of you heard me talk about this before, and that is to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. And the order of those 
those things are just as important as the things themselves, that we must first commit ourselves to be with Jesus. We need to know Jesus intimately, and he calls us into this intimate relationship to know him deeply and to be deeply known by him. And then that moves into this idea that when we have been with Jesus much, we will begin to be like Jesus much. Instead of trying to modify our behaviors, what happens is our behaviors automatically begin to take the shape of the one we've been with. And so we be we spend time with Jesus so that we can be like Jesus. And in being like Jesus, inevitably what begins to happen is we begin to do the things that Jesus did. We begin to say the things that Jesus said. We begin to see the way that Jesus sees. We begin to engage our culture the way that Jesus would engage the culture. So this threefold mission of being a disciple is so critical to our spiritual formation. I would say it's the basis, the foundation of our spiritual formation is this idea of accepting the invitation of Jesus to be a part of his Talmudim, to be an apprentice, to be with Jesus, to be like Jesus, to do what Jesus did. All of this I've gathered from reading much of Dallas Willard, who is a hero of mine, who has helped me be shaped more in the way of Jesus in his writings. And so let me finish with a quote from Dallas Willard from his book, and we're going to put this book up on our recommended reading for this next month. It's The book is The Great Omission, Reclaiming Jesus's Essential Teachings on Discipleship. But let me finish with this quote and let you just sort of wrestle with this idea of being with Jesus, being like Jesus and doing what Jesus did. He says this, the greatest issue facing the world today with all its heartbreaking needs is whether those who by profession or culture are identified as Christians will become disciples. Students, apprentices, practitioners of Jesus Christ, steadily learning from him how to live the life of the kingdom of the heavens into every corner of human existence. This is what it looks like to be formed by the dominion of God, to be the disciples who come under um, the authority of God's dominion and say, yes, Lord, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Let's pray today. Lord, we pray, help us to be shaped by you. Let our spiritual lives be rooted in this idea that we are apprentices of Jesus to be with you, to be like you, to do what you did. Let us wrestle with these ideas this week, God. Mold us and shape us in Jesus' name. Amen. Before you go, let me pray this blessing over you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious towards you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. God bless you. We're praying for you. Be safe out there. And we'll see you next week. Thank you for listening. It's our desire to lead people to know Christ and to make him known. If you'd like to support the ministry of Hope Assembly, go to hopeassembly.org. Thank you for listening and God bless.